Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So welcome, Jeffrey Adair. Hello. <laughs> when we got on, I think we, we said we tried this a while ago and then there's just think life, life just happens and then it gets rescheduled. So when you said yes, and like there was no maybe buts, I went, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to do this today. <laughs> so, because you've come up in quite a few people's um, interviews and I think some people were telling you, you should do this. So there's, there's a reason. I'm sure you've got a great story to tell. Oh, uh, well, I mean, yes. And as well, you know, the the people that you work with in, in the shows, Alito and, and all the others become your family. And, you know, I'm still in contact with so many of them that, you know, that just we spent our entire, you know, youth with. So, yeah, I have a question about that, because I have just recently connected with people because of Facebook, because, mm. you know, we travel, we didn't have you know i think for a while people had each other's parents home address when we were writing actual letters back then right. we didn't have a way to find people and like i think the issue with women is a lot of times that they got married we didn't know their married name so i feel like there's a lot of people that have found each other but were you one of those few lucky people that stayed in contact all the way through or did you kind of have that gap where you just lose everybody that find them again because of social media there was kind of a core group of especially Lido people that um, I've stayed in contact with. Um, and we would get together, you know, every once in a while. And we actually started a thing many years ago. Um, Don Kendrick, I think, started it um, called Gypsy Camp. And it was a, basically a reunion. Um, and we, you know, all converge on Vegas for a couple of days and, you know, get together and go out to dinner and hang around a pool somewhere and, um, and so there was, you know, kind of a core group of people that would always, you know, be a part of that, like Barbara Beverly, Diane Christensen, uh, Neil Lethem, uh, and Karen, his, his ex-wife. And um, yeah, so you know, we've, we've all sort of kept in contact. And then Facebook, like you said, it's been sort of the great, you know, the great thing of finding people across the world, you know, friends that I dance with that live in Australia, you know, they went home yeah. uh, and, you know, so I, I, chat with them like all the time, you know, on, on Facebook, which is so fun and great memories. That's so great. Yeah. Cause it's, cause a lot of, we are all over the world. So it is, you know, you can get a few people back to Vegas, but even going to the reunion, I had never gone to any, I didn't know there'd been reunions. So I went to hello, Hollywood. Hello, but it was two days, but it was so fast. So you, it's just too hard to connect with that many people. I think we need like a month because then it's, you know, then you reconnect the reunion, then you stay reconnected after and then waiting right. for the next one to see yeah because it is hard to pull this multi you know this all international cast together did you go to the global one the reunion in paris in 2019 i i actually had um uh paid and booked my ticket and everything and then life got in the way oh damn so it I didn't go. <laughs> yeah um oh. and so i was like you know living vicariously through all of the the facebook photos and videos and stuff but yeah it was like dang it um it would have been so fun to be there but yeah yeah um, and there was i think i only knew like four people from hello hollywood that had come over for that but then you know, I met a lot of new people. So now like, well, now we need another one because now I like all these people that I just recently <laughs> met. And then after doing the interviews, like I, now I want to see everybody in person that I've, you know, been across the zoom screen on. Right. Right. 
So you're on the same coast. I love when that happens. I've had interviews where I've had someone from Australia and someone from England and I'm on the West coast. And so somebody has to be up at three in the morning to make it work. And so when it's on the same coast, I don't have to do math. I can figure it out. And it's like (laughs) easy. Nobody has to get up at some ungodly hour. So where are you right now? Cause I'm in Seattle. So I just gave away. We're on the same coast. So I live in Rancho Mirage now, which is just adjacent to Palm Springs. So in the California desert. Yeah. It's a, uh, is it considered high desert? I'm trying to think of, cause Reno, I remember it was kind of desert, but you do get those cold winters. Yeah. It doesn't have quite not, that cactus it's, it's life. Like, it's not as a high desert as Las Vegas is, but um, it does, it does. It feels like the Northwest here today because it's raining all day long and it's cloudy and it's cold and it's in the forties. And, you know, you think of Palm Springs being 80 degrees and right, always every um, day. Yeah. It, it can get cold here in the winter. So uh, how long have you been there? So we moved down here two and a half years ago, uh, right near the beginning of COVID. Oh, wow. So <laughs> we, um, my husband and I, Craig, um, had uh, a floral business um, in Northern California in the Bay Area for 30 years. And that's what I kind of did when I stopped um, dancing. And um, so we Closed our business, sold our house, picked everything up, and moved to the desert. And right, you know, in the beginning of COVID, um, and somehow made it work. So, what was the reason that you chose Palm Springs or that area? We used to come here on vacation a lot, and we just kind of liked how everybody was so friendly. The, of course, the weather is amazing. You know, most of the time, there's a couple months in the summer when it's a little brutal, but. Um, you know, life is just kind of kinder and gentler. And then mm-hmm. I love the fact that there is this showbiz community here of people that had professional careers um, and have chosen to, you know, retire here. So I felt a lot of, you know, camaraderie and 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 a lot of friends that had that, you know, had moved here or friends of friends and like, oh my God, I know so and so, you know. So um, I I just felt easy and comfortable to to make this transition yeah you get your community because i've heard we're like here trying to get anybody together this my friends we have to plan four weeks in advance to get on someone's schedule because they're so busy i go i I look forward to the time where you can say do you want to go to lunch today and have a community that has some time like that slow down pace is sounding really attractive to me yeah yeah but i mean even though i you know like some days i'm like it's five o'clock like how I'm more busy than I was when I was actually <laughs> working 12 hours a day, but yeah. um, somehow I, I still fill, fill the hours. So I'm not sure how. Well, cause can you talk about what you've been doing creatively? Cause I love hearing that people that are, have, have been creative. I don't think you just stop that part of you, you know, or, it's like or, maybe now uh, it gets even or more. Or find it again. Yeah. Find it again. Find it again. You know, now that, now that um, I've got, you know, sort of the time to do it and I, I don't have, you know, the business. Um, so I moved into a Dell Web community, which is, you know, an over 55, um, you know, gated community. But this is not your grandmother's, you know, gated <laughs> um, probably more than 40% of the population is LGBTQ um, households. And um, a lot of progressive people have moved here and a lot of people in the arts. And so we all sort of found each other uh, when we first moved in and, you know, started putting our heads together and we created a theater club. So we're called Friends of Musical Theater and we've now put on um, four shows. 
um, one of which we wrote um, uh, myself uh, and uh, ex-Broadway actress and a big um, international musical director. The three of us sat down and wrote a musical called Del Webb the Musical. Um, we took 32 Broadway songs, rewrote all the lyrics, um, and told the story of picking your life up from wherever you came, moving to the desert, building a house, all the things that you go through, um, you know, kind of creating a, a new life. Um, and we did it uh, um, once, and um, it was like sold out almost immediately. And um, got people were clamoring for you know a second time, so we actually sort of went back to the drawing board, rewrote it, added new material, added um, singers, a band. So we have a live band because there's all these professional musicians that live here. Um, we had six you know singers that all have had various experience in in live performing, um, and uh, so yeah, we did it bigger and better the second time, and did it for two nights and sold out again. So yeah, it's it's been wildly popular and it's all residents of our community, which is really amazing. That's incredible. I mean, how lucky, I mean, I would love to live there and have a community like that to create with, because I think that would be beautiful. But also if you're not an artist, to the, you've got such great entertainment because like you said, this isn't your grandma's um, gated community or how you said that. No, but yeah. a lot of time, I mean, I love, I love when there's community theater and, you know, you're like, it was kind of like, oh, bless their heart. You know, they're cute. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, and there's, there's a, a sweetness to that. Yeah. that people are still, but to go, oh, wow, this is like people that did this professional and are good at it. And do you, do you perform in it? Are you acting and I do. dancing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I definitely sing in it, which is fun. And um, for the Del Webb musical, I actually directed it too. So I did a little, all the staging and, you know, kind of inter music interpretation and that kind of thing for, you know, for everybody so that, you know, there was a lot of variance in the, in the presentations and all of that. So it was, it, it was very fulfilling to, you know, kind of hit on all parts of my creativity. Wow. How long has it been since you'd been on stage when you did this? Well, I did a show, I did an acting job um, a couple of years before we moved down here. So that was like five, four or five years ago. Um, and it was a one-act comedy called The Legend of Georgia McBride. Um, and it wasn't live singing, but I actually portrayed an aging drag queen. So I was in drag the entire time. Um, I had 18 costume changes. Oh my gosh. And, um, and, you know, it was just constantly, you know, like running and changing and working and, um, but, you know, it was so different to do a play like that, a comedy, um, and not a musical, because that's really my, you know, my background is musical theater. Um, and so that was the last thing I did before I moved down here. Um, so then I probably, it was about a year, um, and I saw an ad for, um, a little theater here was doing a, uh, a musical review um, as a fundraiser. And so I called him up and said, you know, I used to be a singer and a dancer. I'd love to, you know, participate. So I did a little cabaret thing with them for um, a three night little fundraiser thing. And a couple people saw me and said, oh, you know, you should work at this other theater. So um, last year I did um, Andy Get Your Gun and um, had a blast doing it at, at one of the more significant professional theaters down here. And we actually, they have a, a thing called um, the Desert uh, Theater Critics Circle. 
And so um, that show won best musical in, in, the, in the desert. And there's like 20 companies down here. So there's a lot of competition. Uh, so that was really exciting to kind of be associated with, you know, kind of one of the best companies in the Valley. And, um, and then I just finished doing South Pacific uh, with them um, two weeks ago. Um, and then we're taking the same show to Beverly Hills and we're doing it in Beverly Hills in April. Um, oh my then, gosh. Yeah. And then um, later on this spring, I start rehearsal for Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Group Dreamcoat. And um, I'll be doing that in Beverly Hills also. So, so are you, because you're not doing your flower business anymore. No. Is the theater, like, are you retired? Like you don't have to go work and then try to do this on top like what is your schedule like because it sounds you sound very busy i i am busy well and <laughs> you know this the club has sort of become my job um yeah. it's people management um and you know making sure that we're you know coming up with new con content like every sort of every four months we try to you know do something and um, the club does the karaoke night in our community so we we host that and you know produce it so there's always like people management things. And uh, of course, everybody's volunteer. So it's, uh, it's an interesting, you know, kind of balance, but yeah, uh, yeah somehow I'm, I'm keeping busy. I dabble a little bit in floral design. There's a florist here that I'll work with occasionally when they need, you know, extra help. But um, I don't miss working, you know, 12, no. 14 hours a day. Well, then you get to have all that time for the creative part of you. Cause sometimes you're trying to balance that, that usually you know, some of those things that are extra don't get all the attention they really deserve to make well, it as was, good as it can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was doing that um, in Northern California when I was, you know, had my business and working full time. I was doing musical theater in the Bay Area. So I would, you know, work all day long and then go to rehearsal at six o'clock and work till, you know, 10 or 11. Um, and then, you know, the couple of the companies that I worked at, we did, you know, a month worth of shows. So some of them, I was doing like 32 performances of, you know, big musicals, Crazy for You and Me and My Girl and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, you know, dancing my butt off. Yeah. Um, you know, in my 40s and 50s, dancing next to 20-year-olds, <laughs> but I yeah. was doing it, so. <laughs> I remember when I was the baby. Okay, now it's not, because I talked to somebody who has a, a, a performance group that she was putting together with retired dancers. And they're, they're great because they, they don't have to kick and do triple pirouettes anymore. But she said, in, interesting in, in rehearsals, like, well, no, my hip hurts. I can't really do that. Or I have a shoulder. So it kind of, you have to adapt, but also, you know, if they're not, if it's volunteer and they're like, I have to go pick up my kids, I'm not going <laughs> to. So right. I don't know how you have that, how people, if it is volunteer and older, like being careful of their body, like, do you have to make adjustments or people are just hungry to perform? Oh, yeah, no, for sure. You'd have to be accommodating. And I'm one of the people that has to be accommodated too, because I have two artificial knees now from, oh. from dancing. So I have two artificial <laughs> hips. Yeah. I think if we all, if we get all of us together to reunion and we do an, an x-ray or when right. we show all the metal, we can make right. a really great, yeah, reenact, actually, you know, kick line. I dislocated my knee at the Lido. Um, uh, messy, actually messing around between shows backstage. And, um, and so I um, went through, you know, rehab back then. And but little did I know, slowly, but surely my, uh, you know, all the cartilage and everything in my left knee was slowly wearing away. And then I kept 
dancing on it. And, you know, even in my fifties, you know, I, I did La Caja Fall when I was 52. Um, oh. And yeah, so it, I was not being kind to my knee. Right. So eventually it, it gave away. And then because I was favoring my right knee, it, you know, it went next. So, um, so now There's... I have uh, flexibility limitations, you know, it yeah. doesn't bend as far as it used to. So, but it doesn't hurt anymore. So that's the good thing. Oh. There's a line and it's, it's in the Baz Luhrmann, like there's a, the music from Baz Luhrmann's movies. It's a sunscreen when it goes, take care of your knees. You'll miss them when they're gone. And I just love that line because I, when you're young, you're like, Oh, like I barely warmed up. Like I knew most of the kicks when they're right. I do one bottom on, I'd see people doing bar or yoga. I'm like, right. eh. and now I'm like, Oh, I really should have been kinder to my body. Right. And just like, well, I do it now. I'll figure out. I'm going to be old eventually and I'll be fine. But I remember when I got my hip replacement, people, both I got both done different time people said oh you'll you'll be you'll wish you hadn't waited and I went okay and then I went oh yeah they were right to be without pain and yeah. mobile like now I'm walking really fast I'm doing things like oh I, I had a cane a few years ago so right. it is amazing and I'm so glad it's this time in life because I know my I had ACL surgery in 2000 and my brother-in-law had it in the 70s I have a tiny little dot of a scar he's got like a whole like his whole leg was filleted open to do an ACL. So yeah, the technology is so think, different. Yeah. yeah. So some of it was waiting longer, maybe not doing it back then you might have better, better results, but definitely the wear and tear. Yeah. Do you consider yourself singer, dancer equal, or like she said, musical theater, I'm going to go back to like how you grew up dancing and got into right. these shows, but I'm just wondering what you, if you are. Well, I mean, when I was much younger, I considered myself a dancer. But then as I, you know, sort of got a little more experience, I, I considered myself a singer dancer. Um, and um, now I'm a little bit more of a singer and a mover. <laughs> singer and a mover, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I certainly could not do the, the, you know, dancing things that I did when I was younger. But um, yeah, I could still pick it up and, you know, lay down a tap or two here and yep. there. <clears throat> I've got some dancers who are in their 60s that were part of companies up here and they'll take class once in a while and they just do the prep like they're going to leap and they walk and they still look like the best dancers in the room and you've got the <laughs> younger ones that can like you know triple pirouette into something hit the crotch shot leg high thing and you know now it's almost gymnastics and I still would prefer to watch those more seasoned dancers that have that embodied like I don't need to see any more tricks I love watching a more mature dancer bring what they bring you right. know like i remember that i've seen the videos of you doing triple turns and slamming into the splits like we, we don't need to do that anymore but it's still there's a grace and a i mean being on stage every night does help you as a performer more than you know working on your overextensions right. and certainly our our experience you know working in the shows that we worked in we you know absorbed and were taught um you know stage presence and you know, and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, it served us well. And, you know, I, to this day still say that it serves me in sort of all aspects of, of my life, because um, I can get up in front of people and talk, but, you know, a lot of people don't have, you know, know how to sort of put that on and, you know, and um, have a presence in, in, in front of people. So um, I, we, we learned life skills that we didn't even know we were learning. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, I remember it wasn't like, here's how you do stage presence. I would watch people on stage and go, 
oh my eye, I cannot, I can't not see them even if they're in the back. And so right. I don't even know if it was intentional. I knew it was something I had realized I had never seen before. Yeah. And so yeah, I think it was nobody's like, here's, I don't even know if I told us how to put her makeup on. You just sort of like, you figure it out and you learn a lot as you go by watching those people that had been there and exactly. they had something special. Exactly. Yeah. So where did you grow up and what got you into dancing? So I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area in a, in a little city called Redwood City. Um, and coincidentally, bef before we moved here, that's where uh, my husband Craig and I lived. So we actually lived four blocks from the hospital I was born in. So oh my I kind gosh. Of, yeah, I kind of went full circle and, you know, kind of went uh, back, to, uh, back to my roots. Um, but I started, you know, doing musical theater in high school um, and, you know, loved it and um, never really took a lot of formal dance classes. I dabbled in it a little bit. There was a couple of great studios nearby. But I, when I went to college, I went to San Jose State and majored in, um, in, in musical theater with emphasis on dance and, you know, went through the program, um, left before um, I graduated and moved to Las Vegas because I kept auditioning for shows um, and getting typed out because I was so tall. And um, some of my teachers were saying, well, you know, tall dancers go to Las Vegas. That's where you can work if you want to if you want to dance and so you know I was like oh okay I guess that's what I'll do yeah it's so good because I've always I'm intrigued like how people find out about it because in England so many people knew of the bluebells over there and in America right. all I knew is Vegas was the show Vegas which was really popular uh show that was on in the 70s Dantana right. with his lion and I'm like I'm going to Vegas look at those showgirls and my ballet teacher did say there's Vegas for you're tall. But if, you know, when I was trying to find things, I knew I wasn't going to be in a ballet company, but like the tall people, there's probably all these wonderful tall dancers that had no idea there's a place for them. Right. And they actually right. want your tall, gangly, long legs and right. tall. <laughs> yeah. And I was getting really discouraged. I mean, I was, you know, I remember auditioning for like the first national tour of a chorus line in San Francisco. It started in San Francisco. And, um, you know, getting typed out right away because I was just way too tall. I was 6'2". Um, and then you know, when I went to Vegas, I was in the short boys line at the MGM. Um, yeah. It was even taller boys that, you know, that oh, were, you know, giants. People. Yeah. I, have a, I think that I auditioned for that same national tour. I think it was the first national tour. Yeah. And they came to Seattle because then I oh. remember, I mean, when, you, when they haven't even been toured, you don't know what you're auditioning for yet. I don't know what year that was. It must have been like 78. It was 70, 77. I it was 77, I think, is when I yeah. auditioned for it. We auditioned for the same tour. 78. I auditioned and I got my song ready because I'd never done any acting. Worked my time steps. I didn't tap. Yeah. So excited. It was this huge audition. And we line up and all they had us do was a double pirouette turned out. I don't think we yeah. got to the time. And they, they cut everybody right then. The girl next to me fell down. They kept her. And then I got cut and I'm like, but I, but I have a time step and a monologue and a song ready. I did not understand. Okay. So I, this is where, how naive I was. I'm in the wings waiting for the next part to get to do my other things. And I think it was a stage manager came up and said, um, are you, are you called back for the next part? I'm like, I'm not sure. And they go, well, what did they say to you? I said, they said, thank you very much. She goes, that means go home. Oh, honey. <laughs> Oh, so that's funny. We auditioned for the same tour. I don't know if it was because I was too tall because I don't know if I did my pirouette clean in heels. I think it was that so we had to audition 
And that was the very first thing they typed everybody out probably by height. And if you could do a pirouette yeah. and I go, but, but I have a song ready. I, I worked on my time step. So right. I definitely learned a lot from that audition. And then to yeah. see the show that night and go, Oh, okay. Um, this is, yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. why. Yeah. Well, and like the line that's in the show where the girl said, well, I saw what they were hiring, you know, right. I mean, I'm standing there <laughs> looking at the people and I'm standing next to it. I'm a head higher than they are. And it's like, Oh uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the unicorn. So. Right. Um, yeah, and you I go where the out. unicorns gather. You go to Vegas where all the unicorns <laughs> <Exactly>. are. <laughs> all the yeah. sparkle, all the color, all the all the beauty. So what was your first audition like then when you what, yeah, when you went to Vegas, did you start going for the big shows or for those so, auditions? Because there was I didn't, know calls. What, I didn't sort of didn't even really know what I was doing. I had just finished doing um West Side Story in the Bay Area and uh, on the peninsula. And um so I quit my job. I had $250 in my pocket. I moved, uh, loaded up a trailer. And this girlfriend of mine drove from San Francisco actually to Reno. And we went and saw Hello, Hollywood, Hello. Oh, and that yeah. was actually the first, like, you know, show of its type that I saw. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. So then we drove from Reno to Las Vegas. And... Um, we slept on her aunt's living room floor for like a month. And um, I found out about an audition like that week uh, at um, the MGM um, and went, had no idea what to expect and really, you know, sort of didn't think that what I was auditioning for was going to be like, hello, Hollywood, hello. Um, I, I just was, I was 20 years old and, you know, so naive. And um, just went to the audition and I'm like, what do you mean we have to stand up here in our G-strings in front of hundreds of people? And I'm like, okay. And I was, you know, skinny and, you know, just naive. And, you know, miraculously somehow I got hired. Um, and I think that that time they hired like six guys. I think it was, uh, they were looking for six new guys. Um, and then started rehearsal and on like the second or third day of rehearsal, I collapsed and come to find out I had um, hepatitis. And so I had to go home um, and leave and, um, and ended up um, entering the show like a couple months later, um, kind of all on my own. Um, so I, you know, was sort of devastated. I thought, oh my God, you know, I'm I'm not going to, I'm going to lose this job. And, you know, Fluff was like, well, honey, you, you know, you're okay. Just you come back when you can come oh. back. Yeah. So they, you know, they honored my contract, but I remember sitting the first day of rehearsal, sitting up in the light booth, you know, watching the show for the first time when it, and looking at it all like, oh my God, you know, like <laughs> the girls are topless and the boys are you know, <laughs> G-strings. And, and so I went to Fluff and I said, I, I don't think I can do this. You know, I don't think my parents would want me doing something like this. And she said, honey, you signed a contract. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you'll be fine. Don't worry. It'll all be fine. And I was like, okay, I don't know. But, you know, the rest is history. But Yeah. There's a word, cal calpigian. I interviewed Narvel McGee, who was in Hello, Hollywood, Hello. And he talks about, turning around and dro drop your pants. I think Don Arden said, drop your pants and turn around and crack a smile. Right. And he said, Cal Calipigian 
which is the, um, is it have, it's something of owning beautiful, well-formed buttocks is the oh word. It's a Latin word. <laughs> so, because I, I think, because I know like for the girls, like, because I was topless, I, w- I was the same thing, mortified. And Miss Bluebell took us off in the wings. So it was very private, but I've heard, but, but for the boys, like, you don't know to wear a dance belt or G-string. Like, people said, I've got like underoos on, I've got like Batman underwear and you just drop trowel right there. And right. it's, it's kind of humiliating when you think about it, but when you want the job and then to turn, to take your pants off and turn around, just stand there and be examined. That's how we start out in this business. It's just so weird when you think about it now and go, oh, if I watched that in a movie, I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I feel bad for you. But we were like, okay, here's my buttocks. Right. Well, and then, you know, because we were, you know, working so hard and I was so skinny, we were doing 13 shows a week. I actually lost weight, you know, like the first you know months that I was there. And then in the next contract change, when we all had to re-audition, I actually got fired in my g-string by don arden on really yeah oh Um, how i'm sure it wasn't nice what he said how awful was it it's just so humiliating and you know i was in tears and um it was horrible um but you know who wants to be fired anyway but been fired in your g-string in front of people oh my gosh yeah i mean of course you know he wasn't nice um and then there was a boy that for some reason um, had to leave the show and so they actually asked me to stay so then I you know I worked there uh you know longer um until um they they filled that spot permanently so I didn't leave when I was supposed to leave but um it was still you know weird and that's weird you know, to come back a, after you're fired and stay a, a rite of passage with Don Arden that you know I think a lot of people have all kinds of stories of you know things that he's done and said and and oh my uh, gosh why did I grow up fast you know 20 years old wide-eyed you know working in you know that 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 business and you know of course all the seasoned performers were like ah what a punk you know <laughs> but, oh and then I have to remember they were also in that state at one time yeah. did um did people I know for the girls we didn't have weigh-ins there I had them later on with other producers but I think it would just be told like you need to lose a little bit or you're getting too thin. The boys, is it on like thinness, heaviness, like or muscle tone? Is there a different thing you that know, you're I mean, like I it kind of checked for? Yeah, I think they did that a little later on after I left. They started telling guys to, you know, like work out and beef it up a little bit. But you know, sort of the type, the body type when I when I first started working there was, you know, lean and thin and um, you know, and I, I can see, you know, pictures in, you know, later years where the boys started getting a lot more fit and, you know, working out and that kind of thing. But they didn't tell us that then. And I, I should have just done it myself. But, you know, I didn't I wasn't sort of that self-aware. So um, but I look at pictures of myself in some of those costumes and I'm like, oh, my God, it's so skinny like my red rock costume there I'm standing in that jumpsuit and you know you can see my ribs and yeah uh, oh yeah yeah there's a lot of pressure so did you because hello I was in Vegas just for a couple months I'd moved down I worked at a flower shop so little connection there I'm delivering flowers I did shares flowers sometimes her drummer would order flowers because I was at the MGM and I would deliver them to the dancers backstage and that's why I'd be back there like way longer than I was supposed to be back there like, I want to do this. I want to do this. But it was, um, I don't, it, that was 70, 
78, 79 when I was there. And I think Hallelujah Hollywood was ending about that time, right? Because Jubilee was coming in and the fire. Were right. you there towards the end of Hallelujah Hollywood then? Um, no, I left Hallelujah in 79 and went to the Lido. Um, but, you know, it wasn't long after because Jubilee was supposed to open in 1980. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was right in that year and a half, you know, sort of time frame. Um, I think probably the show Hallelujah lasted like another year after after I left it. Okay. Yeah, because I went to Hello Hollywood Hello and then the fire happened. I think some people came up to Reno. Like I know they were good at trying to find places for people that were supposed to open. Yeah, Jubilee. we got we got several people from um from Jubilee into the Lido. Um, even though it wasn't at that point a Don Arden show, because it was, you know, he was sort of thrown out of the stardust by frank rosenthal um and so you know it wasn't officially his show but they you know they were very accommodating so actually several of the jubilee principals ended up working at the lido really yeah so that was ollie lido that you were in then yes so what was that like leaving hallelujah did you have to do another big cattle call or did they just bring you over yeah i went to another cattle call um but at that time I was a lot more confident and um you know I could I was a lot more confident in my skills too so I knew I could sort of dance rings around and I was super limber so you know kicking I had to kind of actually turn my head so I didn't hit my (laughs) with my leg knock yourself Um, out (laughs) right so um yeah I I was a lot more confident then and that probably you know sort of helped get me hired um so yeah, I kind of went from one Don Arden show to another Don Arden show, even though he had fired me, but you know, he, he wasn't involved in it. So he that got was fired the, too. So haha. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of at the end of the whole um, you know, mob um presence at the Stardust and the Frank Rosenthal years. It was right at the end of it all. And so there was management changes happening and yeah. you know, people getting fired right and left, you know, in, in hotel management and um you know, I, I, I sort of wasn't really paying attention, but, you know, I was just like fascinated that like, especially like the girls knew a lot of the, the mob guys and, you know, were encouraged to go to parties or hang out in the casino bar. And the girls always wanted the boys to go with them. They were like, you know, come and, you know, sit next to me. So nobody, you know, bothers me. Um, so we, you know, see all of these, you know, kind of mobsters and be around all of that. And I'm just like, this is unreal. This is kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you must have worked with Pat Merle then. Yeah. Pat's still there. I worked with, she was my company manager in Montreal for Miller Reich. Oh. I did, like the same thing. I was like, we said we don't know people's stories when you worked with them. She was a rocket. I never knew that. And yeah. she said she was there like that time, like the movie Casino is pretty I know. close. It's wild watching that. Yeah, went, oh, yeah. that's that- not exaggerated. That's in like how you kind of, at that young age, you do what you know you do. You want the show. And some people said they felt safer when the mafia was there than after because no one's going to mess but also there was girls she said people were showing up with like rings and furs and they're like I mean that's not just a gift and yeah so I just think to be young and naive well to be with your eyes wide open that must have also been interesting to you could feel something's going on you know it's going to happen right that one and that was when um Frank Rosenthal was doing his tv show you know first it was in the um, sports lounge and then he was doing it at um Paul Anka's Jubilation nightclub and you know they encouraged encouraged the cast to uh you know attend the tapings and a lot of the girls were on the couch you know like 
um, you know, as, as the hostesses of the evening and, you know, and so we'd go and watch our friends, you know, kind of participate in this. And it was, you know, a big sort of social world. And, um, you know, it was just kind of wild, like, wow, these, this is crazy. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <clears throat> wow. So, so, so that transition must have been, like you said, because I know people were getting fired. I heard, you know, like, like Rosenthal saying, get rid of, I don't like that person's look, get rid of them. And then sometimes they would be moved to the back where maybe he wouldn't notice and right. just fired because of a look or something. And then yep. also... And they were yeah. ruthless with the girls. I mean, you know, there's that scene where they're weighing them on the, the meat um, oh. scale. And, you know, the girls all had to be a certain weight, no, regardless of how tall they were. So, you know, the short bluebells and the tall bluebells all had to, you know, be within a certain weight range. And some of the girls were so, so thin, but that's what they wanted. Um, oh. And yeah, I mean, it was, you know, bordering on unhealthy but, you know, we're, we were athletes, you know, so they would, you know, we were doing a lot of work every night. Um, and then, you know, they were still doing it, but yeah, it was, it was kind of ruthless um, in the beginning. And then when, you know, they went away and new management came in, like you said, they weren't, they weren't kind of as respectful because it became more of a business then. And so like the new, the new owners and new management, you know, kind of treated us like any other employee. And we didn't feel as special as we felt when, you know, it was, there was a little bit more glamour involved in, you know, the, yeah. the age stuff. So people talk about the change in Vegas when it became corporate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just had that different. And I think it was the way that the casinos made money where before the shows would bring people in for a while, they might stay there and gamble where, well, now Vegas is a million. No, I think people just hop casino to casino and there's not much, much purpose of having a show. Right. But back then it was like this decadent, glamorous night out to go to see a show, have dinner, stay in the same hotel, maybe go to a lounge show. And, but with corporations, I think they weren't investing or maybe they didn't care about the show so much. It feels like it's right. just kind of lost the... Well, and there's so many said, ways now for them to make money that you know they didn't necessarily have the vision back then. That was the format, you know, yeah. the show brought them in and hopefully they stayed and, you know, lost money at the tables. So, right. Yeah. Wow. So did, could you feel the difference when it changed over or is it just the show stay the same or did it affect the show? No. Yeah. I mean, it didn't affect the show necessarily, but it affected sort of like the between shows time and the, you know, um, our, you know, time in other parts of the hotel, like, you know, walking through the hallways to go to the coffee shop and stuff like that. Like, it just lost a little bit of the, you know, specialness uh, because of that corporate, you know, sort of mentality. Um, but we, you know, we had our own little world, you know, so yeah. uh, we were in a little cocoon, you know, backstage at, uh, at the Lido. So um, it was, you know, we just had so much fun. And like, you yes. know, I was earlier, you know, lifelong friends and like memories that you just, some of it, you just can't make up, you know, it's just yeah. so, so funny and so great. So when you're young, all that other stuff could be happening outside. But if you have that, that world, that's still yours. Cause I know that I heard that Frank, I don't know when it left at the show had somebody managing, cause I guess he had really no business managing show business. It was oh. just more of the cover up for the skim. But right. did someone right. come he in that actually managed the show or, yeah. or could keep the vision alive better? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and you know uh, they treated it more like a business which you know it really is it's called show business um i think they were just being you know more responsible about you know um expenses liability you know all those kinds of things um and so yeah it didn't really affect us on stage per se yeah until later when it was you know the hotel was sold again and new management came in and they decided to you know cut the show down and so they you know reduced all of the lines from six to five and they got rid of you know the swings i was vacation swing for the boys all the boys so i covered all like 20 guys uh-huh. uh, and um i had to, i so i had the swing book um so i helped rewrite all of the staging for all the numbers and you know redid a whole new swing book um for all the the spots and stuff so that was a little disheartening you know to see some of your friends let go and yeah and see some of the stuff cut out of the show you know they cut out a number out of the show because they felt like they didn't need it and um was half you know the um the venetian number there was also a versailles number um, yeah like flowed from one to the next and they cut versailles out of the show and they were beautiful costumes you know very you know big hoop skirts and big pompadour wigs that the showgirls wore and um you know it was it was a very grand looking number but i guess they decided they didn't need it so but so we Uh went right into the the venetian which was you know colorful and fun and the gondolas you know sliding through the audience and um, it was sexy because there's a casanova number and um yeah so i actually went to your youtube so i've been like there's so many of those that you can find on youtube I don't think Jubilee is anywhere. Like I wasn't in there, but hello, Hollywood. Hello. There is a full show video, but you can find a lot of those things. So now I can research. And so I have weird, it's not a weird question. My brain just went two ways. If um, it, did it come from Paris? Alito, did that first happen in Paris and they brought over the same show or did, I'm just saying, did any of these originate in Vegas or did they always come over from Paris? No, it, yeah, it came, it came from, from Paris and the, the, the numbers that we did were in an edition in Paris, but the show was called something different. It wasn't called um, Alley Lido. Um, so there was like always overlap of material. So um, like in their show, they did a Japanese number, we did an African number, but they did an African number, but in a different edition. Um, okay. They had the same open, big opening, same uh, the same closing. So it's interesting seeing video of the, of the, Lido show in Paris, uh, listening to our, you know, our opening number, you know, music. And yeah. it's like, oh my God, I could, you know, I could totally still do this after 4,000 something performances, you know, the, the choreography is ingrained in your It's head. in there forever? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> huh. So what, okay. So I've, I've seen parts of the African number. Okay. So how was that like getting into that? Cause now you're more seasoned and it's, you came in by yourself again, or was it a contract change that you came in for? It was a contract change. Yeah. Okay. So you came in with a few more people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I don't really remember how many, but you know, there was definitely boys and girls all kind of going in together at the same time. I think because I came in by myself and like you did with the other one and you're, you meet, you meet people eventually, but a lot of the friendships are kind of established, the dressing room, you kind of stay quiet and then you find your people, but 
there's the bond that's already there. But I think, yeah, coming in with other people, you kind of have the time to bond during rehearsal. So you come in kind of as your own little community at first. So you kind of can infiltrate into the rest because you've been through rehearsals together. Well, you know, it's interesting because I was at Hollywood for, you know, a relatively short time. Um, that I didn't really bond with a lot of those people, some of the girls for sure, and a couple of the guys. But um, for the most part, you know, I've those bonds have become stronger now through like Facebook. And as we're older, you know, recounting that that time and, you know, that I was a part of it. So now I've sort of reestablished these, you know, um, friendships with people that I was in the show with there that, you know, I wasn't friendly with them. Um, yeah. but now come friends with so you know that you know that's kind of fun because we we all have that you know experience in common I went to the hello Hollywood hello reunion and there's you know that ran for 11 years I was there one year but I feel like we all did at the same time which we couldn't have but even though I or I was in a show with someone I never met because like Hallelujah Hollywood is so big that your dressing rooms if you're not by each other and you're never in the same numbers you right. could be in the cast with someone and, and never know them so at the reunion I felt like Oh, I have, a, I have a friend in the show that I didn't know when I was in the show. And so after yeah. the fact, because of the reunions, you get to have like that community expand a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I went to the, you know, the closing of the Lido. Um, there was a huge reunion and there was like, you know, I don't know, six, 700 people there. And it was so overwhelming because it was, you know, like decades of, of Lido dancers and crew and, you know, and everything. And um, it's amazing looking at the, the photos of that. Um, and just thinking like, oh my God, you know, like the, the range of, of friendships that I have. And like you said, some people that I never worked with, but now that we have that thing in common, have become friends with, and, you know, they worked there before me or after me or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's, um, I found that again, just a few months ago, I went back to Vegas for, um, Rich Rousseau's memorial. And it ended up being sort of a little mini reunion. And, you know, there was quite a few people of, you know, of, you know, cabaret legends that were, you know, there that, you know, we all sort of know each other, but we never worked together. And just great conversations with people. And, you know, it was was really nice, a sad occasion to have to meet for, but lovely to have a a little reunion together. Rich was going to do, I never worked with him, but he was going to do an interview. And then he said, well, I've been in the hospital, but I'm going to be out pretty soon and we'll do it. And I just, you know, I, I knew he'd been in the hospital, but it was just so sad to hear. Cause I think it was, um, oh my gosh, Ron Lewis, I think was pretty close to that time. I feel like this year we lost two really great choreographers that definitely yeah. are very big influence in Vegas, particularly. So it's just that that gets us all together as funerals and the sadness of losing people, but like, It'd be different even a few years ago when we were all spread out and not to have that community to even grieve together and then to celebrate. Like I worked with Richard or whatever, the people that we got to work with it. I think we right. might appreciate more now than when we actually were working with them. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and it makes me think back to, you know, like the eighties when we started losing a lot of boys, you know, yeah. and I look at pictures of uh, me like backstage at Toledo and I'm the only one in the picture that's alive. You know, and it's kind of like, yeah. wow, you know, and we didn't, we didn't really have the opportunity to grieve or to, you know, like do what we we're able to do now, yeah. you know, get together and share stories and, and, um, you know, reminisce and, and, you know, uh, reignite the bonds that we had. 
um, it was all happening so fast in the 80s that, you know, it was just kind of a blur at times, I think, when people just kind of dropping left and right. And, um, and so sad, you know, and yet we just kept going. We just kept That's, dancing. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I know I've talked to some of the girls, like Miranda Co. talked about that, like just how sad yeah. to think that we've lost this whole community. And then Miles Riley, his um, story, he was in Paris and his, his um, partner had AIDS. And so he stopped the show and took care of him at the end. But he said, you know, at, at 20, you're not supposed to be going to a funeral every, every weekend. Right. And I think it's like when I, I explain this to this younger generation, they know of AIDS, but now it's, you know, there's, there's a cocktail for it. I have friends that have it, had it for years and right. they're still alive. But yeah, back yeah. then it, there was no, there, I don't know anybody that we knew that got it and then lived. It was like, so what was that like? Cause that's affecting you. Was it happening when you were in the show? Because I think I was doing the show in the 80, when it's 83, I was in a different show with the, that I was hearing about it. And I was almost done with my show business day, but I just remember my gay friends in the show of hearing that news and being like terrified for them. But I was kind of at the tail end of when it was hitting, but in the big shows, I heard like Jubilee, you know, like, and even the fear that some, some I've heard like some of the girls, their husbands didn't want them dancing with one of the gay boys. They thought they'd yeah, get it. I mean, we didn't, it made we didn't, attention you know, within the, oh. Yeah, yeah, we didn't know, you know, a lot about it. And I think also because we didn't have sort of normal daytime lives. We didn't, um, you know, really pay attention to the news really you know know the research of how you get it or how it's you know transmitted or um you know how it can affect you um and so you know we were a little naive because again we were in our own little bubble world that yeah kind of we were sort of immune to you know the outside world but here this reality was coming crashing down and you know seeing um that yeah and i remember like you know, when we would hear somebody was, you know, had tested positive and you'd just be like, oh, you know, like it was a death sentence. Yeah, yeah. Certainly not that, you know, now the reality is, you know, so different, but it's hard to explain that to people that weren't in show business at the time, how devastating it was to theater and cabaret and the dance world to see so many people just going boom, 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 boom. Um, sorry, getting a little emotional. Yeah, uh, no, it's a topic I'm glad it's being talked about because like you said, we didn't get to grieve together. Yeah. Because some of it was after the fact, like I had a friend that died of AIDS, but I didn't know until 10 years later. And then I'm by myself trying to process this as opposed to if you're with this community to be able to talk about it and process it. It feels like exactly the after effect is you are, not in that community anymore, but you find out, oh, I lost this one. Because when I did a slideshow of people that I that we've lost in the shows, people were sending me pictures. And it wasn't it wasn't AIDS specific. It was just I wanted to attribute to people that have passed. And right. then I was getting so many that I'm crying. I don't even know these people. And I'm like, look how many we lost right. in our community. And then when, then when they would say if it was from AIDS and just think like somebody would say like how many great choreographers, dancers, huh. producers, artists we, that how it affected the arts just overall to not have these people that were these right. upcoming wonderful minds of creativity of what it even did like a, a big void of creativity right, right, right. and community yeah. and it's just like these are our people so it feels more personal than when it was scary when it was out there like hey these are my these are my friends this is my family like right around me right yeah I mean and you know I I, 
I know we didn't talk about this, but I, you know, I say probably one of the things that saved me was I was married in the early eighties to a woman and, you know, so, um, a dancer in the Lido and, um, you know, that probably saved me because that was the beginning of the AIDS crisis. And I probably would have been one of those boys, you know, sleeping around and, you know, but because I was married for four years to Jane, um, you know, that probably saved my life. Wow. That's really good to look at now and say, okay, there's some protection that I didn't even know was around me. Right. Right. And, and, you know, that marriage certainly did not end well. And it's, you know, we're not, we're not friends now, but I do sort of credit that, you know, relationship to the reason I'm still here and I'm, you know, completely healthy and knock on wood, you know, I still haven't gotten COVID. I haven't either. I think there might be the five of the only ones left. (laughs) I know there's more people, but around this last, we had our show a bit, uh, my annual show, which we haven't done for two years with over hundred dancers backstage close together, mostly wearing masks up until then, then not on the stage. And then all these people that had made it this far without it, were getting it. And it was just like the next day and the next week. And I go, I hugged all those people and I still haven't got it, but don't get cocky. Don't think you have some wonderful immunity because those people made it this far, but has, yeah, that when you see, it's kind of, someone said, you know, with AIDS, like how the mentalities we want to take care of each other when with COVID when people are fighting about all the different things, like, no, we want to, we want to do this, take care of each other as a community, not just like what's for me. Right. And I think for AIDS too, where it either divided a community or it could bring them together and there's some compassion could happen. Right. Yeah, I think it it sort of made people either find a bigger sense of compassion or retreat from that, you know, emotion or or the reality and, you know, just deny it or or ignore it. Um so yeah, it was sort of a a real sort of a watershed moment probably for a lot of people of, you know, what capacity yeah 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 and it is like you can have that that fun life in your 20s and it's shows and play and party and then this reality hits where it makes us grow up in a different way right of how are we as humanity yeah exactly so i have two other questions that will go somewhere (laughs) so (laughs) were you because i'm really intrigued about it about dongs i've heard that he was it was how he didn't work with the mob or do you even know that like why he was just not let in there because i think it was you know, it was his creation, but then to be kicked out. And I don't know if I think it was some working relationship or maybe he's just a difficult person or what they well, want to control. You know, sort of from what I think is that, you know, that that Frank Rosenthal management time had certain ideas about how they wanted the show to be run and an artistic vision. And Don was not having it. You know, he was like, I think, putting his foot down, saying, this is my show and this is my vision. And you cannot tell me how to, you know, how to do it because I've been doing it a long time. And they were like, OK, fine, then bye. Um, so I think it was just, you know, a, probably a personality conflict um, for, for the most part. But, you know, I think they just were like, we don't need you. The show's. The show's running. We don't, you know, need any kind of input of how to run our business. And you know, you you could see in the movie and stuff how sort of delusional 
Frank Rosenthal was about, you know, he thought he knew show business and, you know, um, and just kind of dove in headfirst with, you know, his, his TV show and, you know, thinking that, you know, he could do that. And, you know, there's a lot more nuance <laughs> to creating a show like the Lido than, you know, that most people have no idea the right. levels of, of creativity that it takes to do something like that. Where does Alito fall as far as like the end of the Stardust and Alito? Well, it was the last. It was, it was the last. The last one. edition, yeah, and it was the longest running edition because you know they used to change them every two to three years uh, for the, long, the longest time. But you know, it was it was the longest running one. Um, you know, I started in '79 there, and it closed in 2000 something. Really. I is that right when the end of the Stardust show. too? Because I remember watching well, the, them. Uh, Enter the Night was the last the last show um, that was in the in the showroom. Um, That's Ron and, Lewis Apcar, right? Um, I can't remember who did that because I was gone from Vegas okay. by, that, by that time, and I went back to Vegas actually uh, with Beach Bike at Babylon. So I was in Beach Bike at Babylon at the Sands Hotel um, for a couple of years. So. I left Vegas, moved back to California. I lived in Europe for a while. Um, and so um, it was a big sort of big step to come back to Las Vegas again. But um, we were the only live singing show on the strip at that time. Um, really? And that was 1980, 1988 and 89, we ran at the, at the Sands Hotel. So you could have stayed because I think at that time there was so many big production shows so did you choose to leave, leave vegas to get out of there or just something else presented itself it did something else presented itself so you know of course we were talking a little earlier about doing um trade shows industrial shows and stuff like that so i had started doing a lot of the fashion shows at the convention center when you know like ski wear week would you know come to come to vegas and so some of those european companies um some of the choreographers said you know if you ever come to europe we, you know, we could get you work. And I was like, really? Oh my God. Yeah. So um, Neil Latham, Karen Latham, and their two-year-old daughter and I um, all moved to Germany when we moved to Munich and uh, together and we're kind of sleeping on friends' floors and wherever, you know, we could <laughs> be and started working for like Head Sportswear and, you know, Peter Steinebron and, um, you know, so I got, I got paid to see Europe, which was so fun and, you know, worked in Switzerland and Austria and Spain and London and, um, you know, for, so for a couple of years, that's what I did. And that's amazing to be young and just be able to just pick up and go. I was and fearless. Especially, yeah. yeah and then, like, like you said, going thinking? to Vegas, like I didn't know what I was doing. Like I had no yeah. idea when I moved there and just like, it sounds good. And you go, and then I look back and go, that was pretty ballsy. You know, to yeah. just leave your home and go and then to go to Europe and hope you get yeah. something. It's so I think it's a commendable thing because I know there's people that have been interested in this and like, well, you have to leave things like, oh, I don't want that part. Like you have to want it bad enough to right. leave your comfort, your, you know, your friends and family for a while uh, to go somewhere you don't know, maybe even the language. And so I, I'm kind of even more in awe of all of us that just went maybe the naivete was yeah. what and got us there like not to know to be afraid or that it may not work it's like oh, right. okay i'll go do it 
it's yeah, probably my gonna parents be fine. thought I, my parents thought I had lost my mind. You know, they were like, "Well, now where are you going to be working?" And I don't know. I'm just going <laughs> to go and tell them I'm here. And you know, luckily a few <laughs> days later, when I got there, I got a job. But oh, you yeah. know, like I didn't have a job. I just went to Germany and said, "I'm here." <laughs> Get off the plane. Here I am. Hire me. <laughs> Yeah, but it is. It's like, um, it is there. There's a, I think I remember being a little nervous of things, but I think it's that belief that, especially if you get hired for something big right off the bat, it definitely boosts your confidence that you might be wanted somewhere else too, especially when you see how many people were at that audition that didn't get it. So you start to go, okay, I think I could probably get another one of those. Right. Yeah. What was that like? Was that, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, you know, back in that time, they, they were gigantic cattle calls. You know, there were yeah. hundreds and hundreds of people that didn't get hired. So, yeah, that confidence was like, wow, I can't do this. Yeah. yeah. So when you were in, in Germany, did you have to hustle or were you working pretty steady? Because it's different than having, a, you know, a year long or six month contract. Well, it was definitely seasonal. Um, and so there would be, you know, months when, you know, nothing was happening in the, in the modeling world, um, because, you know, the, the, the fashion season is, is, you know, a few months at a time. So I, sometimes I would come back to the States. Sometimes I would stay there and just, you know, kind of hang out and not too much, um, you know, maybe take a dance class or something like that. Um, ended up, you know, meeting some other Americans that lived there. So I had a little, you know, sort of little group of friends, but, um, you know, it was actually sometimes a little lonely because you're in this, you know, foreign country and you don't speak the language well. I learned it, you know, good enough to get around, but, um, you know, not fluent by any stretch. And a lot of times it was in bad parts of the season, like the middle of winter, you know, nobody's nobody's doing shows you know and it's freezing cold and there's two feet of snow and you don't have a job and you're like what am I doing oh yes and you know the jobs come around and you're like okay yeah this is I love my life yeah Yeah. (laughs) wow what made you move back I just got tired of like I'm a real homebody so Mm. I really got tired of not having my things and not having my own home and you know sort of nesting um and so yeah when I when I came back I actually moved back to Vegas for a little while and um stayed with a girlfriend of mine who was um in Jubilee um and uh and then eventually thought oh I'm I'm gonna move back to California so I moved back to California did Vegas change much because I feel like at that time there was an implosion of like a, a, a conic hotel every it just, and I, I didn't go back off and like, wait, what is this? Where did this happen? And the last time I was there, I was just there a month ago. It, you know, it's like strip malls and yeah, unrecognizable. this huge sphere thing that's being built. And right. I just, I had to live there only two months, but I've gone back every once in a while. But even going every two years, it feels huge. And now instead Everything. of all the beautiful marquees like Jubilee, you know, with the, the, the beautiful dancers on there, it's like, yeah erectile dysfunction and uh, <laughs> harm, what is it, physical harm lawyers and all that. I'm like, yeah. what's happening in Vegas? And yeah, antidepressants. It's like, this is, this is a telltale thing of what the billboards are saying about Vegas might feel I, yeah, for those who've been there. It's so different, you know, and um, I just lost my train of thought. Um, oh, coming back after, like how much did oh, it coming change? Back after. Yeah. So I can, you know, and even going back um, with Beach Bank of Babylon, having been gone for a couple of years, 
um, and living in California, um, and then going back to do that, even then, you know, the Sands was still standing. That's where the, um, it's where the Venetian is now. Um, oh, but, that's right. You know, oh, wow. Uh, the Mirage was being built across the street from, from the Sands. And um, I remember when we were doing Beach Bank of Babylon, Steve uh, Silver, who was the creator of the show, was talking to Steve Wynn, who was building the Mirage, um, about pitching a show. And we actually put together like a little, um, like 30 minute musical review with a couple of the cast members. And we did a presentation in the construction site in the middle of the, in the Mirage. Um, the five of us put on a little, you know, a little show for Steve Wynn and he sat there, you know, with his arms folded and, you know, watching us and we did like a little mini spike of Babylon and there was a potential that Steve was going to do a show there, but it never, never came to fruition. But I just thought, you know, like, this is the weirdest thing ever, you know, here we are doing a little show for Steve Wynn in the middle of a construction <laughs> site. <clears throat> Yeah, because that's, I think, when it all starts to change. And then it's like the th more themed hotels started coming in about then. Exactly, yeah. I just think of like the Dune sign. Because I want to talk about the signs next. Because that's when I look at the old movies and the pictures. The Stardust sign is so beautiful. So iconic. And I, I love really, the Dune. I really wanted to go to uh, the lighting of the Stardust sign. You know, they just did that on yeah. February 2nd. Um, but I had rehearsal for South Pacific, so I couldn't go. <laughs> I got um, in on the third and somebody like, why could you not be here? And I could not have changed it, but I was one day late. Oh no. But I saw, and I heard the ones that went there, if they were part of the Lido, like I talked to Nikki Adamo and somebody said it was just really yeah. felt and honoring. They, uh, they gave everybody lanyards and then oh, they nice. gave everybody stickers. So uh, Russell Plasco actually sent this to me last week. Um, he kept a couple, a couple things. So he was very sweet to send me one of those. So I have it up on my bulletin board and my little desk here and, did you make that your, your um on your Facebook too? Did you change it to the Lido sign? Yeah, my uh yeah, the the picture behind my my portrait. Yeah. I love uh, that because I I for some reason I thought you were there for that because I missed it by one day. Uh, and I went to the Showgirl Museum, I went to Nevada State Museum and I saw the Follies Bergere. I thought it was just the Follies Bergere collection, but there was Hello Hollywood stuff and Hallelujah Hollywood has something. Oh my gosh, wow. And so it was just really wonderful because like, I feel like I pay more attention to the history now but kind of that trip was more to just see and then take pictures to share with all the bluebells who you know there's people in Australia that will never come to America and I can just go there in two hours and go to the see Miss Bluebell's scrapbooks at UNLV and Don Arden's books right. and right. it's I love that it's being preserved but the, I did go to the boneyard my last day there but it was in the daytime but things were still lit up it's still it's amazing what it triggered in me to see like some of those signs that you would just drive by all the time that are right. now gone. And I'm so glad they're not just dumped somewhere. And yeah, it was not, it's not that big of a thing of an area, but it just, I took my time and went, I remember this. Oh, I remember passing this. And oh yeah, that's why I think even seeing the flamingo is the same thing. It's always been, cause I lived on that street further back in a really sketchy part of town it was a little scary, but the flamingo, I just, every time I see that, like, is this the only, the last standing and the Tropicana, I don't know if their signs change, but there's something, uh, those signs were just really special because they right. would, that's your and landmark the to figure out. The Trop had that really cool um, fountain that was right on the corner of uh, Tropicana and the Strip, I remember. And I don't know if that's still there. I didn't, I didn't drive down that direction when I was there last. So I don't know if it's still there or what, what happened to it. 
Yeah. It's almost too sad to go, Oh, that's gone. And what is that? And then I learned so much from Uber drivers. Oh my gosh. I learned about what they think is happening with Vegas, what they remember, the conversations they have with drivers in the car. It's, Uber is a great way to learn your history of a town. <laughs> like sure the things is. they yeah. were telling me, I was like, some of the things they see that were not so pleasant. So when you went back for the, you went, were you there for the actual closing of Ali Lido for the last of the, the Lido the last shows? Performance. Yeah. The last, yeah. What yeah. was that like? Did, and you said there was like six, 700. Was the whole audience ex dancers? Pretty much. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure how they, um, you know, invited people to that last performance. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, you know, kind of anybody and everybody that I worked with or knew of was like in the audience. It was, it was nuts. Wow. I'm very emotional. You know, I like, bet. Um, I remember I, we got to go backstage and I went up to my, the dressing room and I actually took one of the light bulbs from the mirror and, and kept it for years until it broke in in one of my drawers. Oh. I'm like, dang it. Oh. I, I had, you know, had kept that light bulb for, for years and years after. <clears throat> that's a sweet thing to take. That's one thing when I went to Hello Hollywood, hello, I wanted to see the dressing rooms, but they've changed them all. I think only one row was still there. They rest they had gutted and changed around. But I go, I just the feeling of the dressing room feels even stronger of a connection than standing on the stage. I don't right. know what it was. There's just such a different well, thing of what the dressing rooms felt like, what they represented. We spent so much time there. You know, yeah. I, was thinking, I was thinking about that, like, you know, like between shows, I'd sometimes, you know, crawl under the, you know, costume rack and sleep on the floor, <laughs> you know, in, in between shows or, you know, there were people that, you know, dressers that would give you haircuts and, you know, you'd go out and get food and bring it back and everybody would, you know, sit around and, you know, eat dinner between shows and you know you, you kind of lived I remember um at one point there were these dress rooms kind of back in the corner that had been they were being used for storage and we saw them and so a couple of us singers that's when I was actually at the singer swing and we were like could we take over this dressing room and so they were like yeah we can move stuff around so this dress room that had been you know abandoned for years um, so we painted it and we put in carpeting and oh it was like peach, peach colored walls and seafoam green carpet. And, you know, oh, that sounds right. Everybody's out like, you know, oh my God, this is so nice. And there was four of us that sat back there and we were like, you know, it was the most luxurious dressing room at the Lido. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Somebody, uh, Liz Larkin, did you ever work with Liz? She was in I know Liz, but we didn't, we didn't dance together. I think yeah. she's at the yeah she's the starters. She was talking about bringing in gels to put over the backstage lights so everybody looked better. <laughs> she, yeah, I think she was told to take them down, but like oh we could make our dressing room because I remember that. Oh yeah, probably a fire hazard. I just look at like how at Christmas we'd have garland and we'd hang stuff. You would decorate your dressing room, and then there's pictures of people smoking backstage, which now seems so I, crazy around those expensive costumes yeah. and that you're also I don't think anybody it. ever smoked in the dressing rooms but I remember people smoking like you know downstairs uh on the sides but yeah like you know the, yeah, it's so weird now girls, a lot of the girls you know big headdresses and stuff were stored down there um you know on the first floor so um I'm sure this they were smoke infused but yeah people smoked in the showroom so you know we were dancing yeah. around I look at a movie now and you see people smoking in a restaurant and it makes me go, huh? And I go, oh yeah, that's what we were like in every night. And then like, I remember blenders making margaritas and, oh my God, and I think bro. of how expensive our costumes were and we're like, 
<laughs> just eating food and drinking and I don't know, smoking might have been on its way up while I was there. But yeah. row row one in the girls in the girls' dressing room was um, tall nudes, and they had a blender on their uh, on their row, and that blender was always going. <laughs> <laughs> I think Shirley, every show... Shirley Allen was on that row, and you know she was she's a really great friend, and you know that was that was a really fun row to you know like be friends with those people. Yeah, I think everybody like there's every show has the the row. A friend of mine was in Jubilee. She said they were the most raucous row and the loudest, but Fluff was always like ladies. And so they people, the rest of the company didn't love them so much because they were the really fun, loud group. So if you're the quiet group one row over, that's maybe not so much fun, but it feels like every show seems to have the the row. Yeah, because I, there was definitely rows where it was quiet, you know, quiet girls. Um, and yeah. their dressing room was, you know, lo- lo- linear. And so they had sort of shorter rows. Our dressing room was like two big squares. So everybody kind yeah. of in some places sat back to back. So you learned how to talk in your mirror you right. know, to the person that's behind you, yeah. which is an interesting skill set that <laughs> most people sort of don't know. But yeah. You, you carry on complete conversations with somebody in a mirror, never looking at them face to face, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. The dressing room stuff just brings up way more memory. And then somebody posted a picture of the white towels with the blue stripe. Oh stuff. yeah. And I'm like, and all of a sudden like that towel, like it just, I feel like we have one collective brain because we can't remember everything, but every time someone tells a story, you're like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I remember that now because right. I had a hard time remembering a lot like what happened I remember bits and pieces then when I went backstage and I I I just want to see the stage door and like oh okay then when I'll remember where did I even park how did I get back there so seeing it it all comes back into your body then standing in the wings at hello Hollywood and going now I'm starting to remember the choreography starting to come back I remember what it was like to be that first night waiting to go on like basically getting shoved out there when it's your your first night to get onto your place and like it's it's amazing that at our age, I think that we're all helping bring back more and more of the memories. Right, right, right. Here's an interesting sensory thing that that I just popped into my head as you're saying all of that is now every time I smell the the smell of vanilla, like really strongly, I instantly go back to being on stage left at the Lido. Then up above, there was a platform where Siegfried and Roy would start the beginning of their show and they would preload the cats up onto this platform while well, the cats would pee up there um, as they were you know, waiting. And to disguise the smell of the cat piss, they would douse it with vanilla. And so it was this combo of vanilla and cat piss smell oh, over gross. there, which Ode, was horrible. Oh, free. Yeah. But now every time I smell vanilla, I instantly like think about, you know, that sort oh, of my gosh. memory of-, of I would never cats. buy a vanilla candle. Yeah, I, I, I interviewed Samantha Sage, who was a, a stagehand there, and she Samantha. she was at the Showgirl Museum when I was down there a few weeks ago. We got a few oh, people together fine. at Grants, but yeah. she talked about loading it. She called it the Tiger Toaster, yeah, because of how they were different platforms that would come up on elevators and just. Yeah. So did okay. So to to kind of bring us to an end. So you have had. No, a I great don't experience. want it to end. I know it's. I'm like <laughs> this is so fun. Um, this is so good. So you also, with those shows, there's always an opportunity for disasters because you've got elevators and costumes. Do you ever have any costume mishaps or uh, just so things go wrong on stage? Two really have- big ones. So my first job in Hallelujah Hollywood, um, there was the big um, 
Arabian Nights number that we did. And the boys had these um, capes that we wore and gold lame g-strings and gold boots that had like curled toes. And we did this big sort of big processional thing. And on one of the exits, all the boys had their hands crossed in front of them like this. And we were kind of in plie running off in a big line. Well, I tripped on my cape and went, at first down on the ground and everybody behind me just jumped over me and kept going. I'm like in my, you know, in my cape, in a G-string, trying to, you know, like recover it. Everybody just kept going and jumping over me, like, you know, like county sheep or something. Yeah, like it was like it was an Olympic event. Um, and then one night at the Lido in the African number, you know, there was a um a rain curtain that started the the number and we would all run out into the dark um, and get in position for the beginning and there was this mysterious music and everybody would kind of rise up as the lights came up and the rain was going well the trap doors for the rain didn't open and but the rain started and uh was going all over the stage and swept us all off of our feet and several of us ended up um, on the tables in the in the front in the oh audience. my gosh but a lot of us just fell on our backs and I remember um Barbara Beverly was one of the uh one of the principals and she ended up on somebody's table and people were like look out and like if only there had been you know, tape of that because we look back on it now and it's hysterical um, oh my but, god you know, at the time you're just like oh my god what do we do you know and they, well, they could have gone. I don't even remember like how they resolved it. Like, you know, I don't think they stopped the show and mopped. I think we just sort of <laughs> kept going. I don't, I don't even oh, remember. Yeah, the show must go. I'm just thinking the view of the audience. You got G-stringed bodies coming at you hip first. Like, right. You're watching like a, a show and the next thing they're on your table. Right. It's experiential you hear, theater. You know, glassware, you know, just going, you know, oh and it was, yeah, crazy. Hello, Hollywood. Hello. There was a horse that ended up in the tape on a table, it backed oh, up and God. went off. And we had a rain trap too. And it also, instead of not opening, it opened when it wasn't supposed to. And then the top hat number, one of the male dancers fell through, who's really tall. So it's just like, I think the top of his head, you could see. Oh. And a horse oh, had God. fallen in the rain trap. So, you know, just, you know, with how big those That's shows scary. are, that something can go wrong. And, right. Yeah, and well, more and, dangerous, and, like the stairs and heels with giant costumes walking down, and there's stories of people falling down and getting pretty hurt. And, and yet another skill set that you know normal people don't ever have to learn is how to walk down the staircase without looking at your feet. Yes. You know, like <laughs> we take that for granted now, but you know, that you not you not holding on to a handrail and not looking at your feet walking down the stairs is not yeah. a lot of things, not a lot of people can do that. Um, well, I know like my costume walking down, my arms were in a wheel and there was a lot of us, if you fell, you couldn't put your hands down to even yeah. protect your, your head. Yeah. Um, another thing in the African number is at the end of it, you know, there was a big two-story waterfall that rose up, you know, out of the, out of the elevators and um, the boy dancers were on like a rope bridge that slung across the, um, the waterfall with live flames. We had torches. And more than <laughs> once, some boy would hold his torch just ever so wrong and light the hat of the guy in front of you. Oh, and oh you're like, God. you're a human you tiki know, torch. You're on fire. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. Like, I, how did anybody ever think that that was a good idea? Uh, yeah, to, it is. Like, they, we, and we didn't question it. There's no like our HR that's checking to see, like, maybe you should have rails. I interviewed Robert Rang, who was a designer for a lot of those shows. 
and like Don has these great ideas, but they had to sometimes say, no, you can't do that. And he'd get mad, but he would, but it's like, he sees a vision and not like, well, they'll figure it out. Like that we just did it. I'm on the airplane wing and hello, Hollywood. There's six of us on the wings of an airplane holding onto this little handle. Right. Nothing's on hydraulics. So if it, I don't think we were belted in. It's just things that you just at that age go, okay, sure. I'll, I'll have, a, I'll have a, a lit flame over a, a waterfall and right. stairs. And, and Again, it was so we were fun, fearless, right? <laughs> which is, I think it was a good thing. Cause now we go, Oh my gosh, how are we, how did more people not get hurt? So For ending sure. this, because I love that you do stay in touch with people. What is it that makes that those friendships different because I, I worked with a lot of people I've loved and I feel like there's some different bond with people that I worked with even even though 40 years have passed I mean you know how do you explain to somebody that didn't live through it what it was like for your whole world to revolve like you said around that dressing room you know yeah. like you know like we didn't have much of a social life outside of the people that we worked with you know, like, and you knew a few people in other shows, or if you had worked at other shows, that's how we knew them. But, you know, my whole life for seven years revolved around the Lido and all of my friends and all of my social things that I did were with them. Yeah. But it's hard to explain to somebody what being in a dressing room is like, unless you experienced it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a totally unique experience. That's why I think these interviews have been so fun because I can go on and on. I tell my friends about all the, I talked to Jeffrey today and here's what he said. And they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> or this one story about what the tiger, when the tiger peed and it went, ran down into all the costumes, they're like, uh-huh. <laughs> and I think they're interested, but they, it's just kind of a hard concept to, to get. And so when you have someone that gets it, right? like I will, whenever I smell, I'm going to go over to uh wherever like target and smell the vanilla candles and i'm gonna go i'll be back there with you jeffrey i'll be back there visualizing tigers loading oh, above tiger me piss. while i'm getting tiger <laughs> piss and vanilla means that was a that was a regular night at work that was just a regular regular thing oh the and you know the crazy shenanigans that would go on while Zigfried and roy were on because their act was long you know it was like 25 30 minutes and like we'd play dress up and we'd redo our makeup and the boys would put the girls costumes on and vice versa. <laughs> and, you know, people have no idea that that kind of stuff was going on while they're watching this yeah. show, but we were a show within a show. The show know? within a show. They just yeah. see what's out there. So I remember like uh, playing games and then it's like, oh, we're on. It was like the show was interrupting our fun time back there. Like, dang, and you, dang, I, get, I was finale I now. I, had, I almost had the answer. I don't think Pictionary was out quite yet when I did it, but I remember you could go out there for a 15 minute segment and come right back in and finish the game or the conversation that you were having. Right. And it was, if the audience, if there was a camera, they could see what was happening backstage. Like you wait till that very, if if you're having fun back there, you wait to that very, very last second to throw in that last piece of jewelry before you run on stage, because it was like, wait, I gotta go. Okay. I'm going to drag it out. Yeah. Yeah. I have. I have some hysterical pictures of backstage shenanigans of, of people that they probably would not want to have shared, but um, I'll definitely <laughs> send some of my more oh. acceptable photographs. Well, <laughs> even on the verge, I think people appreciate because I interviewed Jillian Rashoe, who was our company manager. <laughs> and I told, I ran through this, I was really dumb. I ran through this, the uh, earthquake scene in the San Francisco number when I wasn't mm. in that number. I just wanted to do it for my last night. Then when the elevators were moving and I realized I could die, and I had never done a shenanigan before. And I hear 
Sherry Pennington, please come to the office. And I got, but she talked, talked about shenanigans, how, you know, we, we were having fun and we weren't really realizing that you could die if you pulled them on stage. But I mean, the shenanigans backstage, she says, yeah, there was every show. There's always shenanigans. And that that's my favorite word now is, uh, is shenanigans. <laughs> we were good at it. And then you get to an adult job like, oh, I can't just put on your outfit right now or I can't right. <laughs> whip up the blender for a cocktail between <laughs> meetings. <laughs> What do you mean there's no margaritas at this meeting? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Yeah, this is how I roll. Oh, this has been really fun. I'm so, you know, it took us a while, but I'm so glad it happened. This was really fun. So I'm going to be down in Palm Springs. So maybe we need to go get a drink, light a, a vanilla candle. Oh, my God. Next to a litter and box. I'll have to have, I'll have to find a hat um to uh to wear so that we could we could have our little tea with the yes i see you doing that with, right. with the, some of the girls and i'm like i want to do that well we <laughs> can do it on zoom or we can do it in person down there because yeah, i went to paris be and i brought hats that squished down i just popped them up and like oh, put on a that. hat so i just traveled well, with hats so that we can do it and on a side note for beach blanket babylon i became the hat master for for the show so i made a lot of the hats that were in Beach Bank of Babylon, and I had three hats that were on the Academy Awards. Um, really? When they did the opening number, Snow White and Rob Lowe. So three of my hats were uh, in that. So um, Will you yeah, send a picture fine. of those? Do you have a yeah. picture of that? Yeah, I would I love do. that. Actually, I have, a, I have an assembly picture of them uh, when I was making them uh, on my lunar room floor um, before I took them to, took them to L.A., um, that's amazing yeah that was that was a great experience but um, tell I you have I an appreciation make, I can make you a hat is what yes I'm okay <laughs> we'll do it we'll do a fun tea time because I've been for my own show I've been getting costumes for mist and get and then I'm fixing things oh. I have no idea what I'm doing I'm good with glue gun and some things are like if it, I'm so we were so used to what we had that craftsmanship of oh my god you know yeah. iron or like metal bras and like the backpacks how they're constructed and now I have some things I picked up like this is cardboard underneath here and this is held together with safety pins. So right. I'm appreciative for what I have, but I think it was hard to be spoiled. And we know what good craftsmanship is. And we know that's why those shows can run so long and everything right. is still looking beautiful. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you, Jeffrey. This was awesome. And so, so uh, until we did in person, I will give you my, the circumference of my head before I come down. So you can whip up a hat for me. That would be fun. <laughs> That's a, that's maybe, I'll, a, maybe I'll do a desert themed hat for you. It's a little cactus. I'm going to come down just for this. I have to go do tea time <laughs> in the desert with a hat. This is definitely worth the, the flight. I love okay, it. You, you take care and you I too. will talk to you soon. Sounds good. Uh, thank you so Bye. much.